Wonderful. So friends, I don't know about you, but this year has flown by, right? It's crazy. I mean, it was just the other day we were talking about what we're planning to do for this year. And now if like me, you find yourself in the position of trying to assess, well, how well did those plans go? And if you're anything like me, it's like the plan, some of them went all right. And some of them like didn't even get off the ground. <laughs> it's been a tough year, right? There have been many highs and there have been many lows. There's a lot to celebrate and there's a lot to take stock of, friends. If we look across the world, if you look at the global geopolitical situation, you read about tension and about hostility and you read about rumors of wars and you even read about wars, friends. If you're involved or interested in things of an economic nature, you read about economies that are still stuttering trying to deal with the after effects of COVID. If you're something of an ecologist or somebody that is interested in things of nature, you follow all friends, the narratives and the conversations around climate change. And you read about nations that are trying to collaborate around climate change, friends. If you read as well about society, you begin to hear a lot more about things around identity, gender, and all the conversations that flow from that, friends. And here, back home in South Africa and in Richards Bay, we're part of the global village, so we don't get to escape that. It's just we have the extra of being able to add to that our own unique challenges that we face. And I don't need to tell you what those are. Suffice to say that there are a few. I don't come this morning, friends, with a message that wants to discourage us. But I want to come with a message this morning that I hope stirs us, friends. Because you see, the last couple of weeks, actually this past week, I've been reading through the book of Nehemiah, Ezra, actually. I've been reading through the book of Nehemiah, and I've been reading through the book of Esther. And I read about situations that, if we're honest and if you want to draw parallels, are not very dissimilar to ours. There was a lot of things that were broken. There was a lot of destruction. There was a lot of scattering. There wasn't a lot of unity. There wasn't a lot of vision. There wasn't a lot of momentum and not a lot of energy. But into that context, friends, we see a man in the book of Nehemiah, and we see a woman in the book of Esther, Stand up and be used mightily by God. And this morning, friends, as I was reading those two books in these last couple of days, last 10 days or so, I felt God challenge me about what must move in my heart, what must move in my life, so that I can also become a current day Nehemiah and a current day Esther. Where I won't just sit on the stands and go, oh, gee, how bad. But actually, here I am, God, use me. And friends, my heart was challenged. It has always been challenged around this. How do we help? And I want to extend that challenge to the church this morning. How do you help? Because we were never called, friends, to be those that are on the side of the field. We are called to be those that are playing on the field. And so I think you'll agree that the global story does not make good reading, right? But... 
And I want to say there's always a but. For the followers of Jesus, there is always another story. You see, friends, we get to look at the same set of circumstances, the same situations, the same events, but we do that through the lens of what we believe and in who we believe. Because you see, when we put on those glasses and those lenses of what do we believe and in who do we believe, friends, storylines supernaturally change. I would love to hear an amen after that statement. It happened in the Bible, friends. It'll happen today. And so my sermon, big idea this morning, is two words. And whenever you feel your emotions and your heart wanting to get pulled down into that drudgery and that discouragement, I encourage you to make this statement, but God. When we want to moan about Eskom, we say, but God. We want, when we want to moan, friends, about the lack of leadership, we have to say, but God. Friends, when we want to moan about the lack of factional politics and what that's doing, we have to say, but God, friends. Because God has the answer. Matthew 19, 26 says this, with man... Quote with me, with man this is, no, 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 no. With man this is impossible, but with God all things are, say it Adam, with God all things are possible. We have to believe that friends. So won't you pray with me, because I just want to pull a couple of things out. It's really simple things. This is not going to challenge necessarily your theology, although it might. I'm hoping it challenges what you do. And so let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we always pray every week. It is living and active. And I pray this morning, Father, that your word would activate us this morning. It would activate us and it would cause us, Heavenly Father, to lead us to places where it becomes a life. Because that's what your word is, living and active, Father. Holy Spirit, it is not man's words that can do this as, not, as much as they can point. We ask you to come and do the work this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, let's, if you haven't read the book of Nehemiah or read the book of Esther, I would really encourage you to. They're not really long books. It'll take you maybe two or three days to read through both. But if we can just recap quickly, just to give us a bit of a setting for what the book of Nehemiah and the book of Esther was about. Nehemiah, funny enough, both these books were written around about the same time, just before 500 BC. Nehemiah, friends, tells us about the story of the city of Jerusalem that has been completely destroyed. It has been razed to the ground. The walls are destroyed. The city is destroyed. The temple has been broken down. And all this happened, friends, while the people of God, the Israelites, the nation of God, were in captivity held by the Babylonians. They were in captivity for decades. And over that time, friends, the city of Jerusalem was absolutely razed. It was destroyed. Word of this gets back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a servant to the king of Babylon. He's happily serving the king of Babylon. He's in the palace. He's living a good life, even though he's a servant because he's a favored servant. 
And word gets back, and Nehemiah, friends, is broken. And he, he goes to the king and he says, King, I have to do something about this. And because of the favor that God placed on his life, friends, with the king, and because, as you read in Nehemiah, the gracious hand of God was with him, Nehemiah, friends, got to rebuild together with the people the city of Jerusalem. The walls were rebuilt. The gates were reestablished. Reconstruction started taking place in the city. The temple started getting rebuilt. And probably most importantly of all, people that were scattered became a people again because there was a mission and because there was a vision. When you read the book of Esther, you read also, this was while they were in captivity. You read how God uses a woman called Esther. She becomes the queen to the king. And in the king's, I suppose, I don't know, his leadership, there is a guy called Haman, who because he takes on an offense, it, he makes it his mission, friends, to uh, totally annihilate the Jews that are held in captivity. It is his personal mission. And he gets given permission. But God raises up Esther to intervene and together with her uncle Mordecai, friends, the Jews are saved. Both situations, both situations, history rewritten, friends, because a man and a woman chose to stand. And so this morning, I want us to look at these two incredibly brave individuals. I want us to take note, friends, of what they had to do, what they had to overcome, and what they had to avail themselves to to be used by God. Because as I said, friends, in many ways, whether we are looking at a very micro situation here in Richards Bay, we are needing a but God intervention. If we are looking at KZN, if we are looking at our beloved country, South Africa, and extend it beyond that, friends, we are needing a but God answer. And amongst us here this morning, are Nehemiah's and Esther's that God wants to speak to this morning. And so I want us to look at how did Nehemiah and Esther respond. Like I said, some really, really basic things, but I trust that these basic things, excuse me, will challenge you this morning. What do we see and learn from Nehemiah and Esther? Well, I've got seven or eight things down. We'll see how many we get through. If we read in Nehemiah 1, verse 3 to 4, friends, We see Nehemiah, he takes this personally. Nehemiah 1 verse 3 to 4, they said to me, this was the message that got back to Nehemiah, things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and gates have been destroyed by fire. This was Nehemiah's response, friends. When I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven and then I said. 
You see, friends, for Nehemiah, it became a personal issue. He felt deeply. He wept. We've often sung that song. I don't think we've sung it for a little while. But we've often sung that song, friends, break my heart for what breaks yours. When last did we feel God's pain? When last did you feel God's pain? See, friends, we often feel our own pain. And sometimes our own pain overwhelms us like pain does. It shrinks our world. But I encourage us this morning, friends, let's feel God's pain this morning. Because when we feel God's pain, friends, it stirs us. Nehemiah, it says he broke down and he wept and he mourned because it cut to the heart. He wasn't indifferent. He didn't live in a bubble. He didn't say, ah, it'll be the next generation's problem. Let them sort it out. He realized, this is my problem. Let's take it on personally, friends. Let's be those that have our hearts broken for what breaks God's heart. When we read in Esther, in Esther chapter 4, verse 13 to 16, we see how Esther res responded. Mordecai, Remember Mordecai's her uncle? He sent this reply to Esther. Chapter thir verse 13 says, Don't think for a moment that because you are in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at that time like this, deliverance and relief, thanks bud, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows? If perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in and see the king. And if I must die... I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. As I said, friends, I find, if I'm honest with you, it is so easy to slip into living an indifferent life. It is so easy to slip into living an entitled life. But I deserve this. I deserve this. I worked hard for this. You don't understand the sweat and the tears and the effort that has gone into getting to where I am now. Can I say, friends, into that context, you see Esther step into the gap. Not being indifferent, not realizing that that palatial little bubble that she was in was going to get popped as well. And so she realized, I need to do something. She chose, friends, she understood that she was strategically positioned to make a difference and no one else 
could do what she could do. Moving on quickly, friends, we see that both Esther and Nehemiah had to make sacrifices in different ways, but still very similar. They both had to leave a palace. Nehemiah was serving in the palace, but he was still privileged. Esther was the queen being served in the palace. And yet we see both of them, friends, realize that a sacrifice is going to be needed. And they made the necessary sacrifice. For me, this next one, challenged me the most. Both allowed their lives to be disrupted. It came down to, God, this is my plan. I have sat down for my life, and I have this plan that ticks every box, crosses every T, and dots every I. I can see it. I can taste it. I can touch it. It is real. And into that, God says, but what about my plan for your life? My plan for my life versus God's plan for my life. We'll chat a bit more about that, friends. And then lastly, just for the sake of time, both of them had to overcome obstacles. They both had to overcome fear. They both had to overcome the custom and the tradition of the day. The queen could not just come into the court of the king. She did so at the risk of her life. The servants could not just come to the king and say, King, I need, please give. They had to break with tradition. They had to break with custom. They had to overcome fear. They had to overcome themselves. They had to overcome obstacles. For you and I, friends, it's no different. There will be many things that we need to overcome. What I have to overcome will not be the same as what you overcome need to overcome. But for both of us, friends, for all of us, there will be something that we are going to have to work through and in God overcome. Equally important, we see they both partnered with God in prayer. They realized they couldn't do this on their own. They partnered with God in prayer, friends, to get it done. And then lastly, they partnered with people. So how do we respond? We see how Esther and we see how Nehemiah responded, friends. So the question that I ask us is, so how do we respond? Now I'd love to read Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 8. Because in there is something of a template, friends, of how we respond. Isaiah chapter 6 speaks to us about the call and the response of the prophet. In verse 1, Isaiah 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. 
He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of the robe filled his temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, 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 holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundation, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it is all over, for I am doomed. I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy, filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongues. He touched my lips, and with it he said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, your sins are forgiven. Verse 8, Then I heard the Lord saying, Whom should I send as a messenger to these people who will go for us? And I stood up. I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go. And say this to the people. You see, friends, in that passage, there is a template there of how we respond to the calling of the head of the armies of God. You see, we see the prophet first, it says, when I saw, when I saw. The first part to my response, the first part to your response, friends, is what do you do internally? You hear us a lot of Sundays. We ask the Lord to work in us. And once he has worked in us, to work through us. That is this template, friends. When I saw... My encouragement to you in your personal response is to see who it is that you are availing yourself to. To see who it is that you are signing up in service to. You see, friends, when we see the God who is holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with his glory, friends. It will help us make the tough decision because it is him who is calling us. The second part to your personal response is what do you hear? We see it says, when I saw, and then later on it says, when I hear. You see, friends, the encouragement and the, the reality of it is as much as I can stand up here and encourage you and in the moment maybe you're feeling convicted based on what I am saying, you cannot make your decision based on what I am saying. You need to make your decision based on what God is saying. Because what's going to happen, friends, is when you make these decisions to step into the gap, when you make these decisions to make sacrifices, when you make these decisions to overcome fear, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be faced with opposition. And in that moment, 
You need to be able to stand on the conviction, friends, of your decision that you heard, that you made having heard God say. Not having heard Quentin Preen say, not having heard Brent Brading say, not having heard any of the elders, Chaz or Scotts or Errol or anybody else say, other than having heard God say, friends. Because that is the rock on which we stand. There is no other. And so we first respond internally to who it is that we see and what it is that we hear, friends. And we work that until we have a conviction about that. And when we have a conviction about that, friends, then we begin to, we, we begin to follow what we see in Nehemiah and Esther. Having our hearts broken for what breaks God's. Feeling God's pain. Not living in a bubble. Not living entitled. Not living indifferent. Understanding that we need to overcome obstacles to make it count in the kingdom of God. Understanding, friends, that we need to allow God to disrupt our lives so that we can truly discover His plan for our lives. Could the worship team come up, please? Proverbs 16, verse 9, friends. Won't you stand, please? Proverbs 16, verse 9, says, We make our plans... But the Lord determines our steps. We make our plans, but God determines our steps. Friends, will you allow God, even in this season, to disrupt your day? I don't know what that will look like for you. But will you allow God to disrupt your day? Will you allow God to disrupt your week? Next year, this year, will you be so bold as to allow God to disrupt your month? Or even your year? Friends, ultimately, will you allow God to disrupt your life? You see, as I was praying coming in this morning, I was reminded of the game Tetris. You all know the game Tetris? The game Tetris is that little thing that has blocks that's, that, that fall down from above, and they've got to fit into spaces that have been created. They've got to fit into gaps. And at different times, there are gaps with different shapes. 
And as those blocks fall down, the purpose of the game is to realign the block, to realign its position, to realign its alignment. So that when it gets to where it needs to be, bang, it automatically fills the gap. And then as you know that game, that line, boom, disappears. And we start the process again. And my prayer this morning as I was driving into Richards Bay this morning is, Lord, there are so many blocks in this city. Would you come and align? Would you come and reposition? Would you come and change alignment if alignment needs to change? Would you cause to fall into place perfectly? So that your kingdom is established in this place. So that something of that that has been destroyed is restored. That that has been stolen and broken becomes whole again. Each and every one of us folk are in that game. As we said this morning, it doesn't matter whether you are great or small, have much, have little. God wants to realign and reposition you to do great things. Title of this message, I think they put it up. Such a time as this. That was Esther's words. Mordecai's words to Esther. Maybe, maybe God has brought you to this place. Not by coincidence. Not by mishap. But for such a time as this. And so friends, my encouragement to you is this morning as we land. And I've asked the worship team just to conclude in a song this morning is Lord help me to see you help me to hear you in this season Amen Amen
So church, just before we, we run along, this is just a, a word. Morning everybody. I'm just trying to read from 1 Corinthians 3 verse 18. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise, well, by the standards of this age, you shall become fools so that you may become wise. So church, God reveals so that he can heal. And if that word is actually for you, where maybe you've been judging your wisdom by the standards of the world and you feel today is the day where you need to repent and actually follow the standards of what God's word is saying, would love to pray for you. And another word that was uh, revealed to me by Kara as I was standing there was, there's maybe someone that's just full of fear. And Isaiah says, do not be fearful because I am with you. And maybe if that's what you're going through, where you're going through fear, Kara would love to, to pray for you. Um, so church, before you run off, tomorrow we still have a service, a Christmas service at 8 in the morning. I would love to encourage you this morning. Please come, come tomorrow. Bring a friend, bring your family, bring those that do not come to church, bring your neighbor. But the point is, come to church, let's fill this hall. Brent will be preaching tomorrow. It's going to be such a great service tomorrow. Um, so yeah, I would love to pray for you this morning. Uh, Please don't run off. There's uh, coffee, there's uh, cappuccinos for sale. Um, have a blessed day and amen.